we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law. Brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Hello and welcome to another show of Done By Law on 3CR, 855 AM. Um, you're here tonight with Sue and Greg. Uh, it's now 6 PM on the 29th of September, 2020. Um, and Sue, uh, who do we have with us today? Well, um, this evening we're lucky to have Tanya Kovac as our special guest. She's the CEO of Gender Equity Victoria, which is the Victorian peak body for gender equity, women's health, and the prevention of violence against women. And we've asked Tanya um, to come and chat with us um, this evening about the passing of two really incredible feminist uh, women, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, and also uh, Susan Ryan, uh, the Australian, um, the first female senator in Australia. And uh, we want to talk about the way that these two women worked for uh, gender equity, both on both sides of the world, but also um, from different perspectives using the law. Anyway, I won't steal Tanya's thunder. Welcome, Tanya. Um, Great to be with you, Sue and Greg. Long, yeah. time, long time fan of this show. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> it's always good having fans on our show. Yes. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for your time. Especially, um, we're pre-recording this on Sunday evening. So, in fact, the news of Susan Ryan's death only reached us today. So, um, yeah, do you have any sort of opening thoughts there, Tanya, about these two incredible women and what, they, what they've contributed? I think it's... You know, it's a, a significant moment now for, I guess, feminist jurisprudence, really, to have, um, to, to have that generation of women who deliver, delivered in a legal way rights, civil and political rights to women that came off the back of 60s and 70s um, activism. So we're losing that generation of lawmakers and law changes. And, you know, I guess it just makes me think about, you know, what's our duty, what's our, our generational duty to take up the baton from them, really. So, yeah, I'm pretty, it's extraordinary that both of them have passed so quickly and, um, and it does mm. seem, seem to be a, a sign that, you know, we're heading into different a, a very much a different period of um of a feminist legal change yeah what do you go on greg <laughs> why do you think um well i mean ruth bader ginsburg um sadly passed um during the wake what, what is it do you, that you think uh about her legacy why do you think um it, it's shocked um, the world all over um, her passing. Look, I think 
there's a bit of a you know there's a sort of a a, a sort of a, a cult of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, I mm. think um, notorious RBG. <laughs> I mean, pop culture has done a lot to advance the myth making of her contribution to the law, but I mean it's definitely well deserved. She was, um, you know, to just be a lawyer. Um, a female lawyer in America in the times that she was um, studying was an extraordinary feat um, to to rise to the top court in a country is an incredible feat to do both of those things and to do them as a very very committed civil rights activist who sought out cases that were going to push um, equal rights for women and that were going to push civil rights for um, African-American people. I mean, shit, that, all of those three things combined together should have actually meant that she never got there, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. but, but she did. Um, and uh, there is a, there was certainly, it's very obviously obvious that she had a, that there was a magnet magnetism in her presence that was very quiet and gentle. Um, she's a bit of, I guess she's also a study of what it might mean to be a woman leader, um, understated and not there to perform great acts of arrogant violence. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. But I, I think that, you know, it, it's just when it's um you know been amazing to just see. I think I've, I'm really taken by that image of, um you know in a coronavirus landscape having two lines of women flanking down um from Lincoln Memorial with her coffin coming down. I mean not, that was pretty spectacular viewing, knowing that this tiny little powerful woman was in that box covered with the flag. Um, yeah, it's a pretty extraordinary image. Yes, she was quite um, striking in that. I, in, it's true what you say about the power of her her quiet thoughtfulness. Um, but oh my goodness, the brain power behind behind what she was doing was just incredible. Um, yeah, do you think part of her power was about? Um, taking taking people by surprise like oh no doubt um i'm sure that on many occasions she would have been um you know people would have thought that it would have been quite easy to take advantage of her um and and that her you know she had an element of surprise in the way in which she was able to um to you know get great outcomes mm. um you know, I think the, I think we're still quite some time to learn. And, you know, Sue, you and I have had many conversations about <laughs> this. We've still got some time to learn about how it is really that women litigators, women lawyers challenge the, what is, you know, a very old traditional view of what um, it means to be a lawyer um, and, and present themselves in a way that is um, 
you know, that doesn't fit that very masculinized mold that there, that there is. Um, mm. And, you know, it's still the case in so many courts across the world that, you know, they're, they're not gender equal. There are very few places across the world where that you would have a gender equal um, judiciary. Um, and so, you know, certainly not here. No. <laughs> and very few places in the world where we actually track those stats either mm. um, and keep an eye on them. We're starting to do a better job of that in, um, of tracking, you know, the, the houses of parliament than we are our judiciaries. Um, but, you know, it's just in incredible, incredible, incredibly powerful woman in such a demure little person. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I enjoy seeing her become an icon. I think that's, it's exciting for young girls to see somebody become, to see a woman become an icon, not because she's a movie star or a um, pop icon, but because she's a clever, smart, legal operator. I mean, that's a great message, isn't it? Isn't that yeah. a great message? I think girls? women everywhere need that. And do you think what she did connected to us in Australia in, in any way? Like, you know, what do you think about the work that she did and, and how it might be connected then to, um, it was a very similar time to when Susan Ryan was operating. Um, well, I think what they, what they were, did, what they were motivated by and achieved through their work, and it's very different work, you know, Susan's was very much in executive government and, and through a parliamentary means, um, and RBG's was has been through law and litigation, and both means to achieve civil rights ends are important and valid, and they work incredibly well together. Like you need both of them in operation, so you need women leading in, for those causes in both spaces. But it, they were similar things that, like, like the program of the rights that they were working on, were very similar. They were civil and political rights and there was a commitment to healthcare rights. Ruth Bader mm. did more on the sort of um, healthcare reproductive rights part of work because she was, um, you know, really a defensive bulwark for Roe v. Wade. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of... of help wanting to champion like an equal rights amendment in the um the us and the creation of the full gamut of discrimination legislation which susan ryan had responsibility for i mean we we can totally thank susan for her leadership in relation to the sex discrimination act um, mm. and which wasn't until 1984 no, unbelievable, but <laughs> so long ago. It's hard to believe, isn't it? That's, yeah, it is. Uh, look, it does, it, yeah, absolutely, it, does. it is hard mm. to believe. But I have to say, I do think that it's time for us to to reboot and relift and refocus beyond those pieces of legislation. I mean, one of the reasons I, I'm a big supporter of the Gender Equality Act in Victoria, which will come into force in March of next year. and what I like about that piece of legislation is that it is no more about casting 
um, equal, uh, gender equality rights in a negative form, i.e. the prevention of or the avoidance of sexual harassment and discrimination. It is the assertion of a positive gender equal culture and the strategies that you need to do in order to achieve that positive gender equal culture because it benefits the whole of society when we have that. It limits violence and it's good for productivity. If yeah, I was... And so for me, like what Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Susan Ryan passing away is also the it's a sign that we are, that it is time to move to the next step of legal thought around gender equality laws. And who's going to do that? Where are we thinking about that? Where's the inspiration going to come for that? I'm inspired, and, and as you know, I've been in, I was involved in the creation of the gender equality um, strategy and the, the decision to have a gender equality bill, and then and now the act. So I'm, you know, deeply committed to to it being a good outcome here in Victoria. Um, I'm really interested in that idea of um, proaction, proactive. Um, positive action. Um, recently, I was watching a, a, a webinar discussion about the, you know, sexual harassment in the workplace and the way that the, the law is currently structured means that um, it's one person um, who has to try and make a case and um, it's always reactive. And well, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that comes from my time um, as, a, as a public interest litigator. Mm -hmm. As a public interest litigator, the thing that I always knew was that, you know, you that one case wasn't going to solve the full pol the full political and um, and legal issue for that for the cause that you were pursuing. It could only shine a light, and you would need media and campaigning and and politics to build around to move that change, um, and. You know, I don't think that I don't think it's always fair for it to be case by case change. I mean, I'll be honest with you; it's one of the that that sense of frustration about the case by case change is one of the reasons I got out of law. <laughs> um, well, know. it's really you know, it takes um, this discussion that I was watching was talking about how it takes a very courageous woman to run one of those cases, particularly a sexual harassment case Absolutely. within the legal profession. Um, and, and, I and I think that, our, I think the way, that the way in which, like in, if you look at the discrimination legislation, the most, one of the most powerful parts of that act was the capacity to take a claim for indirect discrimination and to be able to argue that there was a, basically like a, a structural impact mm. That was having mm. that that was actually, you know, didn't look like it was deliberate, but it was under the surface impacting on people's capacity to be equal. Um, and I, I just think the act hasn't been very good at enabling individuals to use that power, or and and it hasn't really richly evolved into lots of, um, you know, third parties supporting individuals in mm. their in their claims about those things. So it was a bit in the disability discrimination space, but I don't think it, that ever really took off in the sex discrimination space. Um, and 
you know, so what the Gender Equality Act does, it, it actually shifts away the responsibility for change from individuals pursuing claims to get gender equality and turns to workplaces and settings and says, tell us how you are making gender equality. You be accountable for creating it and provide explanations for how you are creating it. So um, how does that work? So it, you're, it's actually saying um, forcing a proactive um, conscious gender lens on the policies of a particular workplace. Where, where does this act apply? Basically, will, will impact gender equality act will impact on public sector workplaces defined entities um, under the, the new act. They're all public sector entities from local government to departments to statutory authorities to universities. Um, and there are a number of different obligations um, to do workplace gender auditing to produce gender impact strategies and and, um, and to provide regular accountability back to, to the Public Sector Gender Equality Commission. And the government's just recently appointed the first Public Sector Gender Equity um, Commissioner. So... Um, so how, how would that work then if the audit has been done by a workplace and, you know... Oh. It'll be a name and shame thing, Sue and Greg, I reckon. Like, instead cool. of... Yeah, I guess so. I think they're expecting that there'll be a bit of more, that there'll be some, you know, the legis rather than use the stick of compensation mm -hmm. um, or, you know, the fit that, that drive of individuals battling it out for an outcome, the legislation is envisaging using accountability mechanisms and almost like the peer pressure of needing to do the reporting um, to drive behavioural change. Because at the end of the day, most of these kinds of pieces of legislation that are human rights-based pieces of legislation, they're about behavioural change. It's a form of, uh, of legislative behavioural change. Can you shape the behaviour, change the behaviours of people by setting out a different code that is respectful and um, and loving between people rather than mm. you know, hateful, aggressive, and and wanting to take advantage of people because of their difference. Um, Do you think that? Um, I mean, maybe it's a bit early for this kind of a reflection, but um, since the Sex Discrimination Act came in, that there has been that kind of cultural shift in the way. Um, I guess we as a society um, uh, look at uh, equality um, and do you think that the uh, Gender Equality Act uh, might, uh, I guess, further that um, cause in terms of cultural uh, change? I think that there's no question that the SDA had an impact. Susan Ryan's piece of legislation was huge. Um, you know, the things that it did in relation to... Um, in relation to equal employment opportunities. Um, you know, so I'm thinking about the Wardley case and ANSET, you know, like you can't, um, you can't underestimate the role that, that those pieces of legislation played in changing the modern Australian gender, gender equal workforce. But it's the, the, the job of that is not complete. Um, mm. And, 
you know, if we, we're fooling ourselves if we think that Australia doesn't have a significant Me Too moment. Mm. We did. We, we still do. I think there are a number of industries that haven't, still haven't fully disclosed how bad it is. And clearly, with the Dyson Hayden drama of this year, mm. um, it, is, it is rampant in the law. Mm-hmm. Don't get me on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's interesting. For me, I see a connection between those two cases. So the Wardley case that Tanya was talking about before is the first female commercial pilot. It was also the first um, commercial airline pilot and also the first case, I think, for the Sex Discrimination Act after it was passed. And what's interesting is I used to teach this to university students and I used to actually show them some of the evidence that was produced, including commentary by um, Reg Ansett, I think it was someone who was giving evidence for Ansett saying, you know, you can't have women in the cockpit because we want a safe cockpit. We don't want any distractions. And like the, the, the way that that, well, for a start, it makes men look pretty silly. (laughs) Um, and and it's so connected to the Dyson Hayden thing, like in a way that um, the sexual harassment um, that happens in a workplace like that is also treating a woman as a distraction, as a so they're kind of well, yes, and and that idea that um, that in a workplace setting, women are. Um, can never be um, quietly comfortable that they are only being looked at and interacted with for their intellect and their meritorious contribution. Mm. Um, That sense is why you need sexual harassment provisions Mm -hmm. because, um, and and, and that's the change that has partially happened, I think, Greg, that part of the behavioural change has been to say, you can't sexualize your work colleagues if you want women to work with you. It's unlawful to do that. Mm. Um, and that behavior is not acceptable. And for men, it is quite clear that even men who have had responsibility for interpreting that act, the behavior change hasn't reached them enough culturally. Mm-hmm. Has it reached? Um, your generation, Greg, my son's generation, my partner's generation, I think, yes, it has. I think largely it has. Um, There are definitely pockets of it. And, you know, I'm always worried that what happens when you have leaders like Dyson Dyson Hayden allowed to, um, to perform for so long in their job that they then train others other men and school them in the same behavior and that's how you have intergen that's how it doesn't change mm. so it's really important what the profession is doing now to you know to sort of break that kind of behavior um and you know I, I, again it's something i'm very very watchful of you know i'm pretty sure that both i'm pretty sure susan and rbg can you imagine how many times they got propositioned both of them Oh, can you imagine? 
I mean, didn't yeah. there's that story about RBG when she was first in law school and how the, the dean called the very small handful of young women who'd become law students into dinner at his house and made them all stand up one by one and explain why it was justifiable that they were in law school taking the place of a man. I mean, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're just lucky, actually, that all, that these women actually did decide to mm. to make. Mm. And this getting back to that first thing, what is it that makes the two of them significant? They decided to use their career to advance these causes. Yeah. Like, I remember someone once said to me, "It's one thing to be a smart and capable lawyer; it's another one to be to be a smart, capable lawyer who's also committed to delivering justice." You know. Um, mm. and I don't think we'll, I don't, I, I don't suspect that we will be, um, you know, celebrating the new appointment to the, to the, um, su to the, um, US Supreme Court in the same way. No. <laughs> in 40 years time. I doubt that very much. Yeah. Yes. I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, I mean, I know that, um, Susan Ryan really had to push very hard for that anti-discrimination legislation to go through. And it must have been, you wonder sometimes whether they thought, oh, you know, it's too hard, <laughs> you know? It is hard. It's hard. It is hard. But it, mm. the thing that, ma that matters a, a lot is ensuring, like I love the law, but I'm, I also know that you have to, to, if you really love the law, you've got to love politics You've got to understand that at the end of the day, to have great pieces of legislation, you need to have great lawmaking and great lawmakers who are committed to justice being elected. Yeah. Um, which is why, for my song this evening, <laughs> <laughs> my song. Great segue, Tanya. Yes, we're just running out of time. So Tanya's going to introduce the song she chose, which is an awesome song, and it's so connected to what, it, what we've been chatting about. Tan, Yeah, I'm a big fan of Annie DeFranco, um, and so I've picked Hello Birmingham because I'm looking across at, um, the US, which I, like many of us in the West, have admired over many years and it does seem to me that we are almost looking over a falling civilization sometimes. But the ballot box is the only way to change that. And this song by Annie DeFranco is about um, her experience her, of voting in America. Thanks for having me. Thank you for your time. No, thank you. Yes, and thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Tanya. Great to be with you. Take and uh, thanks to all our listeners out there. You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR. Buffalo, that the hate fell 
wanna build bunkers in your beautiful red earth. They wanna build them in our shiny white snow. And now I've drawn close the curtain. This little booth where the truth has no place to stand. And I am feeling oh so powerless in this stupid booth with. This useless little lever in my hand and outside My city is bracing for the next killing thing Standing by the bridge and praying for the next Dr. Martin Luther Divine. 